guys doing okay? Yeah. All right. We're going to be in Mark's gospel. We're turning a new leaf today and only in chapter two of week something. Uh, so if you are there, you just kind of find the middle of the Bible, go to the right, and Mark is there somewhere. Mark chapter two. It's on page one on my iPad, um, so you can find it just like that. Uh, so we have spent a quite a deal, a quite amount of time in chapter one, and we're going to be moving fairly, I say fairly quickly, but we'll be picking up our pace uh, just a little bit here as we move into this gospel. Um, All right, Mark chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1, go through verse number 12. And when he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their, in their hearts, what does this man speak like that? Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so Jesus said to the paralytic, I, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. One more time, let's pray over the reading of God's word. God, thank you so much. Uh, for your word, although it was my voice that spoke, it was your word that we just heard, God. We pray, Lord, that this word would sharpen us and this word would bring us closer to you, Lord, that when we leave this room, we too would say we've never seen anything quite like this before. And it's not the preaching and it's not the music and it's not the friendliness and it's not the welcome and it's not this uh, being in a movie theater. We've never seen anything like you, Jesus. And we just ask that you would be mighty to save here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What are these 12 verses about? Are these 12 verses about a healing are these 12 verses about a crowded room? Are these 12 verses about Jesus continuing to do ministry in a house? Are these verses about forgiveness? And maybe the answer to that is yes, but I think what I'd like to do is, is point to three different sets of people. And I would 
point out what the purpose of this verse, these verses are later, but I want to focus on Jesus dealing with the crowds, Jesus dealing with the paralytic, and then Jesus also dealing with the scribes. So we're going to take that and then ask a few questions at the end, and I'll be done. Um, no large task, right? Just 12 verses. So let's look at the 12 crowd or the, the crowds first, if we can. Um, now we left off where people were clamoring to get to Jesus. If you remember uh, in the last chapter, in chapter one, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, and, and I'm paraphrasing this, he's like, boys, we got to get out of here so that I can go preach, right? Because this is why, or this is what Jesus was supposed to be doing in this moment, was preaching the word. And so the crowds kept clamoring towards Jesus and great crowds were going towards where Jesus was. And every time these crowds would come, Jesus would look at his disciples and either get on a boat and try to escape, or he would tell them, look, we got to go to the next town. So that what? So that he could preach, so that he can proclaim the message and the gospel and so don't miss this, that crowds were not a measure of spiritual success, right? Crowds are never a measure of a success of any ministry. We know this to be true because this crowd, and we know that in Mark's gospel, particularly since we're in this gospel, nowhere does it ever say that the crowds went to Jesus and they were seeking after forgiveness and repentance and repenting of their sins, right? They weren't after what Jesus was offering. They were only after what he can do for them. The crowds were uh, spiritually passive, indifferent people. They wanted healing. And the reality of it is, is that they were not after what Jesus was offering spiritually. They just wanted what Jesus could give them they were just after what Jesus could just provide for them in their moment. Now, this isn't all of them, but there, we know that there was a, a minority among the group and the, a small a group of people who were following Jesus for what or for who he was. But this isn't the majority of the people. I, I think it would be, I think it'd be fair to say that the crowd had a bad view of who Jesus really is. They had a view of Jesus that Jesus was this uh, messianic promise that's finally here to rid them of not their spiritual needs, but rid them of their physical uh, needs and concerns. Um, one that of being the Roman Empire and their oppression and suppression among the Israelites. And so now they see Jesus coming as this militant leader to rid them of this physical oppression. And, and what do we know about the children of Israel? And what do we know about the continued story throughout the Old Testament? And here, when Jesus steps into the scene, they get it wrong. They have this habit of getting things wrong. And so Jesus comes with the message of authority, the message of the gospel, and one thing to bring and rid them of their spiritual needs, but that's not what the crowd's pursuing after. That's why I say this like it's like on repeat. You, you got to get Jesus right, right? I mean, you, we don't have time to get Jesus wrong. The crowds have God in the flesh, Jesus Christ right before them, 
And how did they still get it wrong? Because they were pursuing after something that they wanted him to do. Jesus was their bellhop. Jesus was the, the one who was going to provide for them a way out of Rome instead of looking for what Jesus could do for them spiritually. It is so easy for us in our culture today to get the reality of who Jesus is wrong. It's easy for us to get it wrong. Why? Well, you've got like 50 variations of Jesus out there. You got hippie Jesus. You got Jesus who was Satan's brother. You got all of these types of Jesus in church. Hear me, we've got to get him right. Because if you, you get it wrong, then you eternally will suffer the consequences of that. We've got to make sure we get Jesus right. Because if we get him wrong, we'll be like the Jews in this story here. I mean, just think about this for a second. If I could elaborate just a little further on this point and kill this point into the ground, like think about this. Like these people, they saw Jesus raise dead people from the grave, right? They saw Jesus call a man out of a tomb. And, and so we see clearly that signs aren't the best way to convince us of the reality of who Jesus is. And this is exactly what they're doing. Looking for signs, but were the signs enough to convince them of who Jesus is? No, because a lot of them still got it wrong. So it's, it's hard. These, these crowds, I mean, they, they're almost... Um, obstructing uh, what Jesus is coming to do, right? He's, he's coming to proclaim. He's coming to preach truth to them. He's coming to proclaim the good news of the gospel of God. This is what Jesus is, what he is supposed to be doing right now. And what we can see throughout Mark's gospel is that all these crowds are doing is they're just obstructing Jesus's message. I mean, we've got it here in this story right here. They make it hard for him to minister and hard for him to teach. And in fact, even in this sort of scriptures that we find ourselves in, there's an interruption taking place that's interrupting Jesus' teaching. In fact, it's only when Jesus goes to be alone with his, his boys and his disciples where we unpack the hard truths of what he has to say. Let me throw a caution out here, and maybe this can be some type of way we can, we can view this scripture and apply it to our lives. It is easy to be in awe of the miracles, the signs, the wonders, and it's also easy to miss the very present reality of who Jesus is. It's easy for us to chase after the signs and the wonders and you still miss Jesus. How is that? Because you have created a Jesus who is only here to meet your circumstances, to save you from your circumstances, to save you just out of your physical condition. But that's not what Jesus came to do. 
He didn't come to rid them from the Roman oppression. He came to bring a message that would infiltrate the Roman empire with a spiritual insurrection. And that's what he came to do for you too. To infiltrate your heart and to bring about a spiritual insurrection in your life. Hear me, church. Don't chase after the signs and wonders. Don't chase after what is shiny, right? You, you remember in Finding Nemo, if I can, right? What got Nemo in trouble, y'all? Don't touch the butt. I mean, the boat, right? I think that's what they say, actually. Yeah. But what does Nemo do? We are Nemos, right? We want what is shiny. Like, oh, look, something I've never seen before. We chase after the shiny, the glamorous. Oh, we want to go to this movement. We want to go to that movement. We want to go to this thing because they have better lights and they have better seatings and their their preaching is better. Oh, we got to be in the gospel of Mark for a year. I'm going to go over here and see what this preacher's talking about. I want to go see what this ministry is doing. And we're always chasing after what we think are the greatest movements, but don't miss this here. Jesus is here now. So dig into it. You don't have to go chase him somewhere else. Jesus is here. So what about the scribes? Now, the scribes were, the scribes, this is an interesting thing here. The scribes were the theologians of the day. These were the scholars of the day. They belonged to the Pharisees' system. The Pharisees were the preachers and the teachers and then the theologians, the, the scribes are the ones who put it all together. Now, interesting, as, as days had gone by after the exile, uh, what the scribes' primary responsibility was to do was to, uh, they had three things they had to do. They had to write, set in order, and count. And here's what the scribes would do. So we, all right, we all know there weren't printing presses or there weren't text messages. And so, so they didn't have the luxury of what we have today. When we, have, when we want a copy of something, we don't have to like physically write it down word by word, letter by letter. Like we just either take a snapshot of my, my, my camera right now, we'll take a picture of my notes and it will eventually like describe it out for me. And I don't even have to do anything. So we're used to this type of technology where like technology will scan through documents and write it out for us and print it out to you. And that's what you got. Now they didn't have this type of technology, right? What do they, what do they have to do? So they took their job very seriously. These guys were A-typers, right? Any A-type people in the house? The rest of us, we don't understand you, okay? We don't get you. You are a unicorn, okay? So here's what's happening. The scribes, how, how they've moved out of exile, what they would do from the Torah and from the laws of God is they would have to write it out word for word, set it then in order, and then compare every letter that they had and make sure it was the right accurate count of the letter they copied from. That, that's a level of detail that y'all better not ever expect me to do, right? All right, like I'm, I'm so ADD, like I'd be looking at the first line and I'm off in the wilderness doing something else, okay? And if this is you, praise God for your gift. That ain't mine. But this is what these, now, interesting thing about the scribes, if I can. 
over time, they gained influence. And the scribes then would begin to write commentaries about that which they were writing. And the scribes at some point, I don't know when this happened with the scribes, they began to think that their commentaries were better than the text itself. And they started to think themselves more highly. And there was this arrogance that they carried with them. Oh, we are scribes. We are more than you type of people. You are the less thans, right? Like we don't need just the text. Like we have our commentaries. We have, we have extra biblical laws that you're going to have to adhere to. Somewhere down the road, they, they begin to get this absolutely wrong. Jesus steps into their community and into this house as scribes were listening to him speak and drops bombs on their belief system that they were the ones to carry this scribe out. There are stories of of this very thing happening in the growth of the Church of America where they had a responsibility. They once had this zeal for the word of God, but then began to think highly of themselves. And we see this in the 18th century when, when men and women would, would go across America and men would boldly proclaim the word of God and you would see salvations and, and revivals happening but something happened within these movements where denominations would spur out of, and within these denominations, at some point, we, we thought that, well, you know what, we need to take these guys, and maybe we need to tame them down a little bit. Maybe we need to put them through some scholarly education. We need to just make them look a little better, give them a better appearance, and maybe even like drop in some liberal thought into their theology. And, and the result of it is, is that you have so many churches in America who have lost their gospel edge, who have lost their fervency for the gospel of Jesus Christ, just all in the name of appeasing to culture. Well, our commentaries are good. We want to go with what the culture commentary is. You know, how does culture view this? And we'll, and we'll talk about that. There's, there's a similarity that's happening today that happened when the breaking of the scribes. We've lost our love for the word of God. And because so many people are telling us that it is not relevant for our culture today, we are bowing our knee to the woke mob and saying, okay, fine, we'll give in. And we're becoming the scribes. Hear me, don't be the scribe. Don't be the scribe. How many of you, uh, you've lived your faith in Christ for over 20 years, right? I've been a believer for over 20 years. There's a few of us in here. And let me tell you the tendency that I have uh, as, as I age and, and the tendency that I have, like as I study scriptures, like, like for me, I'm just, I, I kind of have this tendency to where I just want to be, I don't know, go on cruise control, right? 
I have this tendency in my own heart where I just think, well, you know what? I think I've graduated from the gospel. Maybe I need to like, I don't know, find some deeper knowledge of the word of God. And let me, let me just throw and really just set an appeal to our hearts for those of us who are older in our faith. You don't graduate from the word of God. You don't graduate from the gospel of Jesus. You don't get into this higher level of dimension with the word of God. You just don't do that. You think, if you think there's ever a moment in your life where you say, you know what? I don't need the gospel anymore. Man, you've become the scribe. Don't be the scribe. Don't be the scribe. Pray that God would set a flame in your heart for his word. Don't be the scribe. And here's another word of caution, if I just can, like, just, like, tell us, like, there's never a moment, and I can't find the scripture, where you get to retire in the kingdom of God. So, so like, you know, as you get older, like, like, don't think there's a moment where God's like, you know what, you've done a great job. Here's your diploma. You've graduated, you can retire, here's your 401k. Like God doesn't, that's just not in the Bible. So there can be a tendency as you get older to think, you know what, I'll just let them handle it. I'll just let the younger generation take it. And, and they can do whatever they want to. You don't, you don't get to just get on cruise control in your walk with the Lord the older you get. You don't graduate from the gospel the older you get. The older you get, you don't retire from doing the work of the kingdom of God. There are men and women, young men and women in this room who desperately need you. Don't be the scribe. It's the allergies. I'm not crying, so I just, I just want you to know that. So what about the, the, para, the paralytic guy here? This is an interesting story. The crowd is interesting. Again, I just got to highlight the crowd and their just tendency here. Like, just let's think about this for a second. If I'm a well, like, if, if I'm, if I'm a, decent shape, if I am a well-able-bodied person and I'm standing there and I'm listening to Jesus' teaching and I see some dude being carried in and he can't move, you know the right thing to do, right? Move! Like, get out of the way! You know? And then, like, if you're not moving, then the other person beside you should be like, hey, bro, you see the dude over like, again, I just want to press on this, like this crowd, man, this only like displays their self-seeking ways and tendencies that they are only there to see what they can get from Jesus. Because if you knew this paralytic dude who's not going to go out in public because culture sees the paralytic dude that the reason why he's paralytic is because of all of his sins, and so, of course, they should move, but they don't. So they got to find another way. All right? And so they get super creative. All right? Many of us, when we think of this story, I don't know why I always think, I was like, I just got to dig an inch. All right, who, who going to go through an inch? 
So just think, like, at minimum, they're digging a hole that's at least four by six so that they can, like, like seriously, so they could just lower this guy down without dropping him. Because you know what the last thing a paralytic de- dude needs? To be dropped. I mean, he's, he's gone after that, all right? Thank God for the power of resurrection that Jesus has, Okay. So they're digging. And imagine the scene if we can, because this is how my brain works, right? Jesus is teaching. And like, like I've had distractions when I teach, okay? Because it's easy for me to get distracted. You know, I've never, thank God, I've never been heckled. Praise the Lord. And if you heckle me, I will never be your friend again. And here's what's never happened to me again, um, ever either. I've never had mud start dripping down on my head as I preach. I mean, what's the, what's the, the what, what, what's the ceiling? So, so they got to dig. I mean, it's not asphalt, right? It, it's not vinyl. It's, it's, it's mud. It's dried mud and, and sticks and, and whatever else they're using. And they're, they're digging this and just imagine Jesus teaching and he just starts seeing these crumbles. You know what I mean? Like, that's got to be the most awkward sermon ever. Jesus is preaching with authority. The scribes are getting their, you know, their you-know-what offended. And, and like all of a sudden now, we need the distraction of the year, mud, mud dropping in Jesus' face. And understand the accuracy that these guys have to have because where does the text say he is laid right in front of Jesus? Because if these guys get it wrong and they put Joker Man like four feet away from Jesus, again, who are we up against? The rude crowd who won't move and get out of the way. So the level of accuracy that these guys had, like it, they need an award or something, okay? And so they lower this, they're, as Jesus teaching, just imagine mud and, and dirt and just all of this stuff falling from the ceiling. You would think at some point, these guys would be like, hey, excuse me, can you stop what you're doing? But we don't, we don't know. We don't know like if anybody's talking or if anybody's saying like, hey, Jesus, can you hurry it up? Like, you know, the special's going on down the market. Like we got mud, something happened in the ceiling. Like we don't know what's happening. We don't think anything is being said. They're listening intently to Jesus' teaching as mud is dropping down the ceiling. And they land the guy right there in front of Jesus. This is a crazy, a crazy scene that I would have loved to be there to watch. Like, I'm probably the guy who's blocking the paralytic from coming in. Oh, don't, don't laugh because it's, you know, it's, it's you too. Like, we're, we're there because we, we want what Jesus can give us. Like, we're so interested, right? Like, we're invested. We don't really care about the paralytic. So the paralytics, they go up from the, from the, the staircase on the outside. They, they get centered. They, they're communicating with each other like, okay, all right, pull him over here, put the dig the, the, the hole here, and, and they drop him right there. And, and Jesus sees their faith, and he says something so fanatical and so radical that he looks at their faith, but he only looks at the individual of the paralytic, and he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That is the most audacious thing that Jesus could have said in front of scribes. Now, think about the faith 
So, so he, he commends the faith of the four friends, uh, but he doesn't tell them that their sins are forgiven. He just looks at the paralytic and he tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. How can Jesus do that? Well, we know from another gospel account that Jesus knows what is in the hearts of men. This man didn't just have faith that Jesus could heal him physically. This man had faith that Jesus was the one who was going to heal him spiritually. That's the difference between his faith and the four friends' faith. Their faith was that Jesus was just there to heal him physically. The, the, the paralytic is there and he knows that Jesus is the one who will take him as a paralytic internally. Like this paralytic has got to know that this external disease that I have, this is what I look like on the inside. And there's only one person who can save me from the paralysis of my depravity of my heart. There's only one who can heal my heart. And I'm, and I'm finally, I've tried to get through. The crowd was too. They were just being turds about everything. Wouldn't get out of my way. So I had my friends. We dug a hole. And I'm finally here in the presence of Jesus. And what does he do? He looks at the man and he says to him, sons, your sins are forgiven. Because that is the greatest thing Jesus could have told him. This man could have could have continued on with his physical sickness and, and that would have been okay. Because what just happened in that moment is Jesus moved him from an eternity to hell to an eternity into heaven. And that is far greater than anything we can experience in this life. Because the man realized, Jesus, you're not just here to rid me of this physical paralysis that I've been dealing with my whole life. Jesus, you are here to heal me of the paralysis of my heart. I recognize that what is happening on the outside is a result of what's been on the inside of me. Jesus, I know you're here to heal me of my sickness of my heart. And Jesus looks at him and he tells him, son, your sins are forgiven. I need to talk about these scribes again because these guys are just a bunch of jerks. Like, could you imagine Jesus? Like, can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus? Jesus here. Like, you're not even saying anything. And Jesus looks at you and be like, I heard that. That's what just happened. Like, like some of us are like, oh, I want like, like I want to be like, I want to walk like physically with Jesus. Like, no, you don't. Like he's here and he's going to look at you and like, oh, I heard that. Like I'm constantly reciting Psalm 23 in my head. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. You know, I'm a, that way Jesus, Jesus ain't calling me out. The word heart here, like he knew what was in their heart. Uh, has, has, in the Old Testament, heart was their thought. Right? We think of heart as emotion, but in the Old Testament, our emotion was our gut. And so when Jesus says he heard what was in their heart, their heart was what they were thinking. And he, and he, he, he hears their thoughts and he, and he just kind of puts them on blast. And, and they say to him, like, right? They say only God is the one who can forgive. Amen. They got, they got that right. But, but, they're, but they've got a problem. This ain't him. You 
So they're laying a case before Jesus that, okay, so Jesus, what you're saying is that you are either a blasphemer or you're God. And, and here's what I would say. That's the point of this text. That's the point of this. Jesus is either crazy and a blasphemer or he is who he says he is. Or he is God. He is not a God. He is not some created being. Either he's the blasphemer that the scribes are putting on him. Like they are putting him on trial in this crowded room. I'm so glad nobody sits there because they would get showered with my spit every Sunday, right? Like he's either the blasphemer or he's God. And there's nothing, right? You, there's no middle ground. It's either A or B. Only God can forgive sins. Amen. Be, because Isaiah 43, 25, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. And I, Yahweh, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Who can do that? Jesus can. Jesus is the one who comes before the paralytic, forgives him of his sins. Why? Is he blasphemer? No, he's God. Because only God can forgive us of our sins. And that's the powerful story in this scripture that Jesus is making a declaration of who he is. That I'm not just some teacher. He's a good teacher, right? They're all amazed by his teaching but he's not just a good teacher. He is the one who has come to forgive us of our sins and heal us from the greatest disease that we've ever had, and that is the power of sin. Jesus steps into this community, into this house with all of his authority and makes it displayed throughout the world. Jesus is God, the one who has come to forgive us of our sins. And here's what we say to this. We think, right? Sometimes we think, well, you don't know my sin, pastor. You don't know what kind of life I've lived. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the horridness that that I have done. And we, we think, we carry this weight where we think that, you know what, even God can't forgive my sins. So, so who are you, the arbiter of truth now? Are you God? Are you the one that's trying to step into his shoes to determine what sins that he will forgive? There are no sins that he can't forgive. And he looks at us as he looks at the paralytic man and he says to us, your sins are forgiven. Just one more final thing and then I'll be done. This, this very last phrase, I, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all. And so they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything quite like this before. We have never seen, we like, y'all, I, I never saw anything like that but right there. Right, that's what they're, that's what they're saying. The self-focused crowd, there's just, there's just this thing, and then like, what just happened? <laughs> you never seen anything like this. 
Listen, anytime that we are together, we're gathering together, anytime where we we are worshiping God through song, anytime we hear the gospel proclamation, anytime we hear the, hear the word of God preached, anytime we, we see salvation, anytime that we see God doing something in our lives, and I'm not talking about big things, I'm also talking about just the minutia of life, when we are just faithful to our wives, when we are faithful in our jobs, our response should always be, we've never seen anything like this. And it's not because the music's great. It's not because the preacher is an incredible orator. Uh, It's not because of any of those things, right? It's not because you're husband of the year. It's not because you are the wife of the year. It's because God is moving and working in and through you. And your response is, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen God move like this before. Even when it's just in the, the small details of life. What is this? It's bringing glory back to Jesus Christ because it's him who's doing the work. It's taking your focus off of yourself and putting it back on to God. And our response, and if our response isn't, we've never seen anything like this, then maybe Jesus isn't in it. But when we gather, when we are loving our spouses, loving our families, uh, doing all things for the glory of God, our response is we have never seen anything like this before. When we come here on Sundays, it's not to make anybody great. It's not about how good can the music be or how great can the sermon be or how great kids ministry is or or this ministry or that ministry. It's just all about Jesus. How, How great is Jesus? We've never seen anything like this before. It's why my prayer every Sunday after I read scriptures, God, may we leave this room and say how majestic and beautiful and glorious Jesus Christ was in this place. When we lay our heads down at bed, may our prayer and declaration be, I've never seen anything like this, even despite my circumstance. And maybe it is a sucky circumstance. I've still never seen God do anything like this before. This is the cry of our heart. So, so we're, we're three people, right? We're one of three people. We are either the crowd who is self-serving, who is just in it for ourselves, who are just in it to see what we can get from Jesus, that Jesus is our bellhop, and we have bought into that prosperity gospel message, well, if I do this, God is going to do this. Or, or maybe you are here and you're the scribe. And, 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 and you have forgotten the word of God and you, are, you think you have some type of elevated spirituality that you could look down upon others and say, you know, one day you'll be as holy as me. Or, or maybe you're just the wretched paralytic in this room. And you are just desperate for Jesus. And that's all you're after. That's, that's my prayer, that we, we are the paralytic in this text. Going whatever way we need to go just to get to him, that we are desperate for Jesus.
Let me pray for us. 